This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey guys, it's Kayla. Candace isn't able to join us today, but we are all still so directionally challenged. Why are we still challenged? But today we have a really interesting episode and I'm really happy you're here to join us. You know, we're talking about addiction and we have yet to talk about addiction on the podcast and it is not an easy topic to discuss. I want you to think of your friends and your favorite people and think about what life would be like without them. I mean, who would you be and who what would our everyday experiences be like? You know, the people we love enhance our life experience. They bring joy and healing and everything that we need. And that's why when we see their behaviors start to change or we notice something's not right and we don't know what, we need to know what to do. And with addiction and suicide rates higher than ever before and rising even more so during the holiday season, it's essential that we educate ourselves on what to look for and how to treat and navigate 
this overwhelming landscape of addiction. Because when someone we love is in need of help, we want to know the signs and we want to be a part of the solution. So today I'm going to sit down with Dr. Elisa Hallerman. She wrote a book, Soulbriety, Heal Your Trauma, Overcome Addiction, and Reconnect with Your Soul. And in it, she shares her own soul journey from being addicted to drugs and alcohol, suffering from PTSD and chronic trauma, to changing her career entirely and going back to school in her 40s. So she's here to help us today to understand why, how, and where to start dealing with our trauma and to begin to not be afraid of our pain and discomfort. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Elisa Hallerman. And I am here with Dr. Elisa Hallerman. Thank you for joining me today. You know, addiction is a really difficult topic to discuss, and we have yet to do an episode about it on Directionally Challenged. I knew I needed the right guest to discuss it, and so I'm really grateful and happy that you're joining me today. Oh, thank you so much, Kayla. I'm so thrilled to be here. In your book, A Sobriety, Heal Your Trauma, Overcome Addiction, and Reconnect with Your Soul, you candidly share your journey with us from your experience with addiction, suffering from PTSD, your chronic trauma, to changing your career entirely, going back to school in your 40s. So if we can, can we start at the beginning? If you feel comfortable, can you share with our listeners all of this? Yes, I think we're past the point of if I feel comfortable, <laughs> considering I wrote a whole book and it's, go right. it's going out to the world. Yes. So I got sober 20 years ago in 2002. Prior to that, I had been living in New York City after college. I went to law school and I was practicing law living with my boyfriend at the time and just started to feel like New York City was not where I wanted to live. I was not ready to be like most of my friends, moving to the suburbs, getting engaged at 26 years old. None of that seemed like my path whatsoever. So when my sister asked me if I would move to LA with her when she graduated college, since I was not going to stay with my boyfriend and I did not want to be a lawyer, I said, yes. So we moved to LA and I got a job as a cocktail waitress because that's what you do when you're an alcoholic. And so I did that for a few weeks, maybe six, maybe eight. And then I was basically like, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? And I started meeting different people and going on interviews. And I ended up working at a talent agency. And that's where I worked for the next 15 years, working my way up. And I really didn't have any what I would call like external success until I got sober. So something very traumatic happened to me early on when I was living in Los Angeles. And that sort of kickstarted my drug use. I had, in hindsight, definitely been drinking alcoholically through college and law school. I was the kind of drinker that only drank to get drunk. It wasn't like I was waking up in the morning and drinking. That was way towards the end. I was trying to come down from the night before. But I just drank more than 
the people around me. I would start drinking, you know, now they call it pre-gaming. And so I was pre-pre-gaming before the pre-game, before the out, before the party. And that just seemed kind of normal at the time. And, you know, there were no major consequences. I was going through school, you know, other than the fact that I was throwing up a lot and being a messy drunk, there were no major consequences to speak of back then. Well, and let's be honest, that's part of the culture that we accept when we think of college and we think of school and we think of starting out, even moving to L.A. You and I have both worked for many years in Los Angeles, and that's also a huge part of the culture. So when there aren't any red flags, how do you know there's an issue? Exactly. And I think also living in New York City and not having to drive really also didn't occur to me how dangerous it was. And I also had a boyfriend, so I wasn't just out there being sort of risky behavior or driving or anything like that. And it wasn't until I got to L.A., that it started to seem a bit more problematic. And then after the trauma happened, I, as I talk about in the book, was suffering from PTSD, didn't know it, and was having panic attacks and was suffering from OCD behaviors and just could not sleep, could not relax, could not be comfortable. And when I was introduced to drugs, that sort of was very calming for me. And in a very weird way, it felt like the medicine that I had been looking for. And since I wasn't getting any outside help, that was the best I could do. And that went on for a good eight years. And in the beginning, it felt like also a little bit normal, a little champagne, cocaine, totally acceptable, or so I thought. I remember my therapist saying to me one time, it's not, cocaine is not meant to be in your purse like it's gum. Like that is not acceptable. And that kind of struck a chord with me, but I was still able to manage it. And that's the thing about addiction. It starts off where it does feel manageable and it is for some. And Because it's a chronic progressive illness, it gets worse over time. You need more and more, your tolerance, you will have withdrawal symptoms, and all of these things start to kick in. So cut to eight years later, it was pretty much a disaster, and I was not functioning and was about to lose my job and really, really scared that I was going to lose my life. And that's when I decided to get sober. And once I got sober, I had an amazing career in the entertainment business. I loved what I was doing. I loved my clients. I loved putting movies together. I was really good at it and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But what I didn't realize was I'd put down the drugs and the alcohol, but I hadn't really done the internal, specifically the trauma work. And so I picked up workaholism. I became very focused on what everybody else needed instead of tending to what I needed. And cut to five years into my sobriety, I started to feel really empty. And I was losing that sort of 
meaning and purpose. I remember feeling like my identity was tied to the clients and the movies and the success that other people were having. And it didn't matter how good of a job I was doing or my own sort of achievements that it was only looked at as you're only as good as, you know, what people see on the outside. And I had also been putting on this mask of Lisa Hallerman, the talent agent, and I was not that pleasant to be around, even in sobriety. My insides were not matching my outsides whatsoever. And so I began to take stock and that led me to go back to school at night and start learning about addiction and addiction medicine and neuroscience. And then I heard this word trauma. And that was it for me. I sort of was like, if I don't know this and I'm having family members in and out of, you know, in and out of addiction and mental health issues and my friends and all these people, then I don't think a lot of people know what they don't know. And so that sort of solidified this need to eventually retire, go back to school and get my master's and doctorate in my 40s and start the company that I have now, Recovery Management Agency. Well, congratulations, because, you know, we talk about this a lot. We notice that people who are hugely successful have these big pivots in their life. They they are in going one direction. And it's not that they're not successful in that direction, but they have a big epiphany and they turn and and you have done that. And I know the culture and I'm aware of it. And I know it's not easy to step out of, especially when your identity is tied to who to your job and your work and that entire existence. I do want to touch on the word trauma, the big T word, because for those that are listening who may be having that epiphany that you had too, that they weren't aware of it, can you expand on that a little bit? You speak in your book specifically about trauma in your childhood and if it's not dealt with, that it can come back to haunt us. So can we just talk about that for a minute, trauma, what it means and how we can figure out if this is something that we need to deal with? Yes. So trauma is one of those words that means to people that don't understand it so many different things. I think we it's amazing that it's now in the vernacular and we're talking about it as a culture and it's present because there is trauma, whether it's personally or just globally, that's happening all around us. But to just define it and break it down a little bit, trauma is anything that takes you, the individual, out of your own window of tolerance, which means, let's say you're walking along and you see a rubber hose, you know, a garden hose, and you instantly like jump. And then two seconds later, you're like, oh, it's a hose, not a snake right? That is essentially, and then we calm down. And that happens a lot throughout the day where we're like, oh my God, and then calm down. And that's our body self-regulating. When something happens that's outside of our normal window of tolerance, shall we say, where instead of being able to just calm down naturally, it goes beyond that because it's so overwhelming. It's never happened before. It's, 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 you cannot integrate it as it's happening in real time 
because your memories cannot integrate it in the way that it's supposed to happen. And it's too much information or you need to dissociate from it and your body and your psyche protects you. So essentially, though, two people could be in the same horrific car accident, witness the same exact thing and have the same experience. But because somebody else has had previous trauma that they haven't worked on or haven't healed, or as we're talking about to talk about childhood trauma, then their window of tolerance is a little bit narrower. So this accident might be the thing that takes them out, whereas the other person might be able to recover. So it's really individualized there's acute trauma, which is a one-time event, an accident, an assault, something like that. There's chronic trauma, which is something that's ongoing, which might be being bullied in school or being in a narcissistic gaslighting relationship or something of that nature. And then there's complex trauma, which is the result of exposure to multiple traumas, kind of a combination of the acute and the chronic, if you will. Now, in childhood, we have something and people can go on online. There's a study called the ACE study, A-C-E, for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And you can simply go down and see how many you have. And basically, you know, it will talk about different traumas that you could have as a child. And we think of trauma as it has to be something so horrific that we compare our traumas to other people. Well, mine's not that bad. And it has nothing to do with the actual event that happened. It's about whether or not that energy gets stored on a cellular level in our bodies. So when something traumatic happens and we want to go, our brain automatically takes us into that fight or flight, or maybe we freeze, depending on what's going on. When we're, when our bodies are getting ready to flee or to fight back, neurotransmitters are sending automatically adrenaline and cortisol and all of this energy throughout us so that we can save ourselves, right? And essentially what happens is if we don't get to do that, if we don't get to finish that, fight through it or flee, then that bot, that energy gets stored on a cellular level and we need to release it or it's going to manifest itself as anxiety, depression, and all these other real symptoms, you know, ne neck problems, back problems, because we haven't released that energy yet. And that's why there's very specific trauma modalities. And what we've learned is that talk therapy really doesn't work when it comes to trauma, because just talking about the event is not necessarily healing the actual trauma. That's what I love so much about your book is it's not you talk about the basic neuroscience behind addiction and that there is a science to it. And, it, you know, a lot of people do promote talk therapy and how that's the solution. But there's other solutions and other paths is what you're saying. Exactly. Addiction is a symptom that something else is going on. Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good. Because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. And we're back. 
can you break it down for us on a on a scientific level what's happening in our brain when we're experiencing the trauma and and addiction and the idea is i just want to make sure i have this correct that we 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 then move to addiction to cope with our trauma right addiction is when someone comes to me and they have an addiction whether that's substance abuse or behavioral or otherwise social media this that anything anything at all we all have them my first question is okay but why you know but why what is going on that you need to reach for something outside of yourself in order to make yourself feel better inside do most of your patients are they able to answer that yes i mean i'm not as direct day 1 <laughs> i'm subtle but yes Yes. When you sort of start to break it down, it's about the why. Or I say, if they're not ready to look at it yet, notice when you pick up the drink. Maybe they're not an alcoholic, but maybe they're drinking too much or maybe the pandemic got to them and it's become a little bit more wine than they want to be doing. So I'm like, notice when you pick up the glass. Why are you going for it in that moment? Has it become a habit? Are you stressed out? Are you celebrating? Like, what is the reason behind? Let's track it for a few weeks and then let's talk about the why. Because I'm not going to ask anyone or it's not going to be effective rather to ask anyone to say, put down this thing that you think is the medicine. Because in a lot of ways, for a lot of people that are severely traumatized that have gone to addiction that is the thing, essentially, that has made it so they could live through the last X amount of years, right? For me, it was the medicine. And if someone was going to take it away, despite the fact that it had become the poison and was killing me, I needed a solution. I needed another way to quell that pain. So back to the neuroscience 101 class. Okay. <laughs> so I tell a story in the book and I use this a lot of times with clients and I think it's the best way to sort of explain neuroscience 101. So let's say you're walking along. First, let's talk about the brain. So you have the back part of your brain the reptilian, the old part of your brain. And that part of the brain is responsible for your heartbeat, your body temperature, your breathing when you're not focusing on it yourself, and also your survival mechanism, your fight, flight, or freeze. And a couple of long, 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 we develop the front part of our brain, right? As we get, and this part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, isn't fully developed until we're 25. So that's important to note if you have adolescents or young adults. And that's the part of our brain that's responsible for logical thinking and decision-making, impulse control. There's lots of other parts, but we're going to stick to 101. And what happens is, let's say you're walking in the woods, as we do in LA, never, and we see a bear Meanwhile, I was thinking a lot about this because I've been watching Yellowstone and there's so many bear encounters. <laughs> I'm like watching for their nervous system. I digress. And you see a bear and you, before you even have time to think, the back part of your brain kicks in 
and immediately, let's say you're running, you're fleeing. It decides to go into flee. So you are running. Which is what you're not supposed to do, by the way. You're not supposed to run right. away from a bear. Do Just not run from a do bear. Not do yeah. Do not do that. You're running and you, a couple of milliseconds later, your front part of your brain comes online and says, okay, okay, okay. Like we need to start thinking this through. And, oh, we saw one time and we learned or we read that you're not supposed to run. So we're going to stand still. We're going to start thinking this through. We're going to climb a tree. We're going to make a plan. We're going to poke it in the eyes like Bear Grylls did, whatever it is. And you start thinking it through. When that flea was happening, though, it, your neurotransmitters were sending all the cortisol, the adrenaline and all of this, right, so that you could either fight back or flee. So all of that's happening within our bodies and our brains. Now, that's what it looks like when something happens that is trauma. If something is happening where we can't fight back and we can't flee, an assault, if we're a child and we're in the home and we can't leave or we can't not go to school, we're stuck in school, we're stuck in the household, then, and you're stuck in freeze, then that energy is going to not be able to be released. And children also start looking at that as something's wrong with me. That's the thing with kids. They don't recognize that something's going on with someone else. They automatically internalize it as something is wrong with them. And that's when we sort of create attachment disorders. And there's different kinds of attachment disorders. But essentially with addiction, back to the brain, what happens is once you start drinking or using or having a behavioral addiction, you are getting these dopamine hits, this reward system where your body goes, oh, that felt good. We, let's do that again. And that's a natural occurrence in our brain so that we know to eat. We know to drink water. We know that we need to have sex in order to procreate. All of these things that we've learned over time as humans were evolved were reward, do it again. So this is no different. Initially, you have the addiction and you're like, this feels, this is relief. This feels good. And what happens is that becomes so much stronger and stronger that once you've sort of crossed over into that illness, that front part of your brain doesn't click on anymore. The back part of your brain is saying, I need this alcohol or this drug or this thing in order to survive like I need air and water. And I will stop at nothing. I will do things that in my quote unquote right mind, when I'm logically thinking, I would never do. And you just keep going because you've lost the ability to use the front part of your brain. And that's why people get in cars. And that's why, you know, people do the things that the next day they regret immensely and leads to so much shame and that feeling of demoralization because in our right mind, we would never have done that. But we've lost the ability to use that front part of our brain once we are suffering from the disease of addiction. Right. And, it, you know, it feels like addiction doesn't just affect 
the individual, it affects the loved ones as well. I have a family member who also struggles and is in fact struggling as we speak with addiction. So I can say firsthand how much it affects the loved ones around them. Can you take us through the signs? Because I think that's something which I wish I would have known. And I think those listening may want to know as well. What can we look for? How do we know when to intervene? Because I think when we intervene is also critical. It is such a delicate balance. So I just want to separate adolescents and young adults from adults. If, yes, if, first of all, if you sense something is wrong, something is wrong. Just for starters, it's just that simple. Then you can also, just so you feel better, are you noticing, let's start with the adolescents and young adults. Has anything changed at school? Are their grades declining? Are they not showing up? Are there behavioral issues? Are they not sleeping on the same schedule? Are they not eating or overeating? Are they more irritable or anxious than they would normally be? Are they isolating? Have their friends changed? School is a big indicator of if something is wrong at school or there's a friend change or any of these other things. You want to look because in this, you know, what's going on today with the opiate and the fentanyl crisis there is no bottom anymore. It's not like it was. There's things that lead to very quickly death or psychosis, hospitalization, suicidal ideation. So there's no more like waiting around for the bottom. If you feel like something is wrong, go with your intuition. For an adult, the sleeping and the eating and the isolating, not showing up, different habits at work, obviously, money issues, legal issues, medical, severe medical issues. Those things are also pretty much signs. And this avoidance and also that just you know, you feel like they're wearing a mask of someone else. You try to have a conversation and what you get is the mask of addiction showing up in denial. But that person underneath, I can assure you is suffering and does not, there's no one I've ever met. And I've said this a million times ever who wants to be a drug addict or an alcoholic, no one. And so it is terrifying. And believe me, I've gone through it in my own family. And I talk about it in the book, but with my mom, that you, you almost can't see the signs sometimes because you so much want to hold on to the moment. Oh, but they seemed okay. I just had a call with them. And you want to hold on to these so badly because the opposite is just too painful and too scary. But they are kind of falling into a hole and they're not able to help themselves because of the way their brain is operating, which I just explained. So instead of, if we get anything from this, instead of going to someone and saying, hey, I think you have a problem, we'll go to them with solution. 
I once had a boss who used to say, don't come to me and tell me the air conditioning is broken. Come to me and tell me what you're going to do about it. And it's the same thing for someone that's suffering. It's like, do a little investigation, find out what's out there, make, get, hand them a phone number, hand them information. You know, that's the step before you have to hire outside help to help you intervene and never have this conversation while they're intoxicated. You know, it's interesting. You write about learning to not be afraid of your pain and discomfort. And it feels like so much of addiction can be trying to deal with your pain and discomfort, but not knowing how to. I, I think I'm still at the point in my life where I'm trying to avoid my pain and discomfort. So that really struck me when I read that in your book. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And we're back. How do we begin to feel comfortable and accept our own pain and discomfort? And also in turn help those that are struggling with addiction to accept it too. So we can help the other person to accept it. So you get said back we cannot. In, we we cannot. cannot get back in your lane. Everyone's got to get in their own lane, Copy. do their own healing. I'll stay in my own lane. Okay. Yeah. Get okay. in your lane. So much easier. I talk about in the book, the soul journey. So essentially, right, we're in our ordinary lives and we're just kind of walking through and we're showing up, we're going to work, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're coming home, we're eating dinner, we're taking care of the kids, we're watching Netflix, we move on the next day. And we do hear these whispers. We do hear these whispers, like you're saying, maybe that pain, maybe that fear is saying one day, like, are you happy? Do you love this person? Do you like your job? Should you be dealing with this? 
Should you call that person? Whatever that whisper is for you. And a lot of the times, most of the time, we turn our heads away. We go, shush, 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 not now. Too big of a question. Ordinary life seems fine. And we carry on. What ends up happening is those whispers become louder and louder and louder until sometimes a brick house will fall on your head and force you to stay still and listen. What I try to do is explain, like, let's not wait for that to happen. Like that happened to me. And then I was like, okay, let's try to not have that happen again. So instead, I allow the whisper and I wait for what I say the guides to appear, sort of step four. And they will appear in the form of another person coming and telling you something, or you'll see solution in someone else, or you'll read a book, or you'll hear a podcast, or whatever that is. And you want to recognize it and go, okay, okay, I'm curious. And then eventually you want to take that leap of faith. And you want to pull the thread a little bit on your curiosity and look at it. But then you enter into this phase, and I call them, right, the dark nights of the soul. And that's the scary part where lions and tigers and bears show up. That's step six. And lions and tigers and bears will show up. When you decide to take that leap of faith, it will get a little messy, It's not perfection. Our life is not meant to be this upward achievement and all of that. It is meant to have the peaks and the valleys. It's meant to have that. There's no one that's getting out of life without having sorrow or grief or pain. It's what we choose to do with it. So creating a place, and I talk about in the book, what I do and the cave and the image of the cave and the meditation about going into this place, not just when I'm forced in there, when the brick house falls, but at other times where I can sit and alchemize my pain or put pieces back together. And, you know, alchemy is a beautiful metaphor for the healing process. And it's not something that we just have to do in a clinician's office where in that safe space. It's something that if you can imagine like a beaker and you're going to stick all your pain and all your gunk in there and maybe you have different beakers for different pain. Sometimes I'll have I'll do that with clients. Okay, let's stick the really big thing over here. Let's deal with this little one, smaller beakers. And then we have a shelf of our beakers. And we go into a safe place and we pull down a beaker and we're like, let's heat that up today for now. And let's pull that apart a little bit because it's only when we can start pulling that apart, heating it up, pulling it apart, having it become liquid and putting it back together so that that gunk can become gold. And knowing intuitively that alchemizing that pain will turn into meaning and purpose for you. That that is the goal. I think one of those beakers is forgiveness, which I think is a really hard beaker to swallow sometimes. Uh, Forgiveness of ourselves and forgiveness of loved ones who may have done things in the past that have hurt us. And I think that can be very difficult at times to forgive them. We all have battles in our lives, but 
can you talk to us about forgiveness a little bit and how we can and how personally I know it's something I'm trying to work on. How can I start to move in that direction? Because it seems really hard. It is really hard. For me, forgiveness for myself was about really understanding what my part was and really understanding like, well, and not being able to go, not going back, but moving forward. How can I, because we're meant to make mistakes. We're meant to do the wrong thing at times. We are going to veer off our moral compass. These things are going to happen. Those are our learning experiences, but it's not what happened. It's what are you going to do the next day? So if we know what our part was and we can slowly start to look at that and really not just label it of like, well, I was insecure or I was this or I that. But now how are we going to heal that part of ourselves and how are we going to make a living amends to not do that again? And the process of forgiveness is ongoing. It's not a one time I forgive you or I forgive myself. I think that's a common mistake, that it's just going to be a one-off. And I think self-forgiveness is the thing to work on the most. Forgiving other people, it's really about letting that pain go for you. So there's some instances in the book where I talk about making amends, even though I was so incredibly angry and but waiting around for an apology from someone else that's never going to come because they don't have that skill set, they don't have enough healing, they haven't done their work. And me sitting in that discomfort of waiting and waiting and waiting for someone else to make me feel better by just saying, I'm sorry, which isn't even going to make me feel better. We've all heard that before. That's when you're like, oh, time to do my own work. The only person that we can control, the only healing that we can do is our own. We are the hero of our own soul journey. We do not need anyone else to come and save us. Oh, I love that. Thank you. It is so true. And it's so nice to be reminded. And I love your book. And I think that your story is one that is hard to share. And I really want to thank you for sharing it in your book and with us today. I'm so grateful that you came on to be with us. I know our listeners are going to want to follow you on socials. So can you tell us your socials? Yes. My social Instagram is at D as in David, R as in Robert, Elisa, E-L-I-S-A, Hallerman, H-A-L-L-E-R-M-A-N, so Dr. Elisa Hallerman. And my website is drhallerman.com. And of course, you guys, you can go get Soulbriety, Heal Your Trauma, Overcome Addiction, and Reconnect with Your Soul. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so grateful. Thank you, Kayla. This was fantastic. You are so lovely and I'm so grateful. Thank you. It's not an easy topic to discuss and it's not always a fun time, but I'm really grateful. So thank you for everything. You're welcome. I think it's important for us to share our stories, right? Because this is how, back to your question of forgiveness, 
my story became, while so much of it was so challenging to talk about, and I really only shared from my scars, not still from my wounds, but it felt like the stories were universal and not my own. And the biggest gift that I could do was to give back and to share whatever wisdom from my pain I learned in order to help other people. Well, thank you because you're doing it. And we're so grateful. Really grateful. Thanks. Thanks. Everyone's experience with addiction is different. And I'm so grateful that she joined us today. And one of the things I really love that I'm going to take away is allowing myself to mess up, allowing myself to not do something correct and then being able to forgive myself for it. And that's something she writes about so eloquently in her book. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please go to drhallerman.com. She has resources available on her website. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Directionally Challenged as much as we did. And we have another great one coming for you next week. Until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Produced by Melissa D. Mons. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with ACAST. Thank you.